0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The message the prophet Isaiah is instructed to deliver to God's people from this morning's lesson is quite sobering. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen your hands are full of blood i can only imagine how isaiah must have felt when he received this message to deliver to the people of judah and jerusalem remember these are god's chosen people that god is no longer interested in hearing their prayers? What type of a reaction might the prophet receive? Perhaps it would be like if your bishop showed up this morning (laughs) and said, brothers and sisters, the Lord gave me a word last night and he doesn't want to have anything to do with you. All of this, this magnificent worship space, the wonderful choir, these vestments, the flowers, the trappings, it doesn't mean anything because your hands and your hearts aren't clean. Now, the good news is, the Lord did not give me that message to deliver. (laughs) I'm not here to say that. (laughs) And yet I do think, brothers and sisters, that it is good for us to consider these words from so many centuries ago, especially for those of us who are good church folk, right? I mean, look at us, we're up on Sunday morning. There are lots of other things that we could be doing, but we're here in worship. And many of us are actively engaged in church ministries and programs. Hopefully we are sharing of our financial wealth with this congregation. Yes. (laughs) We're upstanding, law-abiding members of society. We're good Episcopalians. And yet the experience of the people of Judah and Jerusalem suggests at least to me that God is asking much more of us than all of those things that we're already doing. After all, God is intimately familiar with all aspects of our lives. There is nothing that is hidden from the Lord's gaze. Everything that we say and do even our very thoughts are known to the lord and so what god is asking of us in word is justice the text is very clear cease to do evil learn to do good seek justice and just in case the prophet's listeners had any question about what that entailed. They are told to rescue the oppressed, to defend the orphan, and to plead for the widow. And so as I read this list, brothers and sisters, it seems to me that a life of faithful discipleship to God the Father and to Jesus Christ, the Son, our Savior, involves the decisions that we make from the time we leave church this afternoon until next Saturday night, just as much as the decisions we make for a few hours on Sunday mornings. Faithfulness is no small matter. It requires intentionality and deliberation. And so for those of you being confirmed or received or reaffirmed or baptized this morning, this is a very significant step in your journey with the Lord. We are privileged and blessed to share this with you. So not only will your Calvary family have expectations of you, but the Lord does as well. It's a tall order, and yet we're not called to be discouraged because consider Jesus' words to the disciples from the beginning of our gospel lesson. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus presents the kingdom of God as a magnificent free gift that God wants to give to each and every one of us. It's God's deep desire that we dwell with God, not only on the other side of the grave, but this side of the grave as well, where we will be nourished and sustained in a way that we'll never experience from any other source. Now, I tend to think that God is pleased with me when I'm obedient, when I'm being the best Phoebe that I can be, but that when I fall short of the Lord's expectations, I've got to earn God's approval. And Jesus' instruction to sell your possessions and give alms, and when he uses that phrase, alms, he means give of ourselves to the poor, that can lead to the conclusion that somehow I've got to do all of this stuff to earn God's love. But the fact of the matter, brothers and sisters, is that God's love has nothing to do with our worthiness. Thanks be to God. Our seat at the table has been prepared for us solely as a result of the lord's faithfulness and compassion and mercy and generosity we don't have to earn it it's already prepared what god asks of us in return is that we model our lives after his and that we in turn show the same compassion and grace And mercy that was so freely given to us to everyone not just to our inner circle but to all of our neighbors and there's another parable right where Jesus spells out the definition of who a neighbor is and that is every single person period No exceptions. If all of us have been created in the image of God, then all of us are not only neighbors, we are family. We are brothers and sisters. And so I think that God invites us to be generous for two reasons. The first is, it is a way, one small way, of acknowledging what we have received and saying thank you Thank you, Lord, for the gift of my life. Thank you for waking me up this morning in my right mind. Thank you for allowing me to get out of bed and not be in pain. Thank you for the love and the support of my family and friends that I need so much. Thank you for this amazing vocation that I never even expected that is such a blessing to my life. We have so many reasons to say thank you. That's the first reason to be generous. The second is that generosity creates room within our hearts to receive what the Lord wants to give us. Now I'm not talking about material possessions, no. The peace, the peace of God which passes all understanding because if I'm holding tight to my ego and my insistence that I'm right, my anger, my possessions, my racial pride, my nationalism, any of that stuff, right? What posture am I in? I'm clenched. I'm not open to receive what the Lord wants to give. So when I'm releasing that and in a posture of giving, I'm open and available to God. Jesus tells us this morning that whatever takes up our time and our energy, that's where our heart is. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, what has been preoccupying your time and your energy? this summer, personal challenges, perhaps things that you are very joyful about. Maybe it's all the stuff in the news. Here in Memphis and in our state of Tennessee and our nation and even the world, there are so many challenges that we face. It can really seem overwhelming. Even if I want to be a part of the solution, where do I even start? Can one person, one woman who was a girl from a small town in Arkansas, possibly make a difference in this world? You know, our fears can paralyze us. And one thing that we can do to overcome this paralysis is to just pick one concrete thing to work on. You know, I can't solve everything, but I can do something. I mean, there has to be one small thing that I can do. I don't have to be overwhelmed by the enormity of all of the issues that we are facing. In Calvary, you know this. I almost feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you all are engaged in this really difficult and life-giving work. Right here in the heart of downtown Memphis, you serve people from all backgrounds and all walks of life through your extensive ministries. And you are a part of the community conversation about healing the racial divisions which exist in our city. And so I want to commend you for the process you engaged in to revise the marker about the life and legacy of Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was a former Confederate general, a leader of the Ku Klux Klan, a dealer in buying and selling persons of African descent and a beloved child of God because he was all of those things. It's complicated, right? And I know those conversations were difficult, but yet, what an important witness you made to the community through your honesty about our history your rector has said if there were a hole in the wall behind this pulpit I would be able to see the market where mr. Forrest bought and sold enslaved Africans, and I can't even imagine that my forefathers and foremothers who went through that horrendous experience could even have dreamt that one of their daughters would be standing in this pulpit as the fourth bishop of the Diocese of West Tennessee. And so that is surely for me nothing but the hand of God that has caused all of this to unfold. And so we know that some of the individuals who were engaged in that market right on the other side of these walls Monday through Friday also came through those doors on Sundays to worship Here, that's the facts, right? It's it's a part of our history as Episcopalians that is difficult for us to acknowledge and to recognize, and I think because we're uncomfortable, it's hard, it's painful, we've just sort of turned away from it. And so we haven't had ample opportunity to share our stories with one another in a way not to be judgmental, not to condemn, but to heal. Because after all, we are all brothers and sisters. The history books have silenced many voices, voices crying out, demanding to be heard. And so I very much support your efforts at social justice and racial reconciliation, and I want to invite you to be a part of our diocesan conversation about these matters as that unfolds in the weeks and months and years to come. Because I believe just as the people of Judah and Jerusalem were called all those many hundreds of centuries ago, we are called here in West Tennessee, to identify the oppressed and the orphans and the widows in our community and to reach out to them in love and compassion, to move beyond the walls of our beautiful buildings and meet people where they are. They may be reticent to come to us, so perhaps it's time for us to go to them, where our faith communities can truly be places for all people to have an encounter with the risen Christ and to know what it's like to have your life transformed in ways you never imagined. So I don't know how all of this is going to unfold. I've only been the bishop since May. I don't have many answers. I think I have a lot of questions at this point, but I do know that within my soul and my spirit, there are just some things that are not right in our country. For me, the level of gun violence is unacceptable. For me, the treatment of our immigrant brothers and sisters is not Christian, and brothers and sisters, God is not interested in our prayers when we are aware of mistreatment of people created in God's image and we are silent. We're called to have courage because the commandment, the commandment given by God to love your neighbor as yourself is not politically correct. And yet, it's the gospel truth. If God has commanded that of me, I'm called to live into that, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful. And yet, there is good news in all of this. There's good news right in the text from the prophet Isaiah, because he goes on to remind us that God will transform our scarlet, sins into snow. If we are willing and obedient, the prophet says, we too will eat the good of the land. He doesn't say if we're perfect. We're not asked to be perfect. God knows all too well we probably don't have the ability to be perfect, but I can be willing and I can be obedient. I can cultivate a heart that is always willing to seek out opportunities to be of service to others, and a heart that is obedient to the teachings that God has given us. And how I can do that is when I'm in relationship with all of you. That's why it's so important to be a part of a community of faith. We need one another for support and encouragement, correction when we're off course we aren't intended to go through this journey of life alone I need you and you need me and together we can do it we can make a difference all of us like our ancestors Abraham and Sarah we're all walking by faith and not by sight and there'll be times when we get it right And there'll be times when we don't and God is in all of it and there is mercy and grace and compassion for us and everybody else involved. So it's difficult work and it's life-giving work. It's work of meaning and purpose. And so my prayer for all of us, for myself personally, for Calvary and all of my faith communities for our diocese is that God may give us a spirit of discernment and insight to know how to begin to respond to all of these issues and the courage to step out on faith to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it small steps Little by little will make a difference. Have you ever been in a totally dark room and there's just one candle that's lit, but as more candles are lit, there's more and more and more light? So if we're each holding our individual candle gathered in community, what a witness that will be. So may God bless us as we continue this work. These things we ask in God's name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.